Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. So I'm here today with Jill, and thank you so much, Jill, for joining me. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So just to get started, can you tell me a little bit about, as a child, what you expected for your life as it relates to motherhood and just generally? Sure. Yeah. It's funny to think back to that time. I absolutely expected the fairy tale. You know, I'd meet the one, the one guy, we'd get married, we'd have two or three kids, and I'd also have a great career, you know, basically the have it all, do it all, live in eternal happiness. <laughs> and I remember my, my college dorm friends even chose me as the most likely to be the first among us to marry and have kids. So, you know, that didn't happen. But I think it came from the fact that I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I have sort of a you know, nurturing nature and love kids. I, so I, I never questioned that I wanted that in my life. And I even believed I'd be a pretty good one. But that one story of the fairy tale was the only path I really considered for a very long time. Yeah, I can understand that. And so tell us briefly what your path to motherhood ended up being, what it looked like. Sure. So maybe I'll just bridge like from, from there and then, you know, and then life happens, right? And I spent most of my 20s and, and well into my 30s. I was living and working abroad. I was in Russia, Chile, the Netherlands. Like I was focused on travel, my career, friends, you know, basically just having great life experiences. But still, somehow I was holding on to that fairy tale in the back of my mind that it would just happen one day. And I had relationships, but they just weren't the right fit. And I tried to fit some of them, you know, the square peg in the round hole of the fairy tale, but it wasn't right. And so by the time I was in my late 30s, I was getting sad and frustrated to still be on my own and have that not be becoming true. And I was wondering, maybe something's wrong with me. But people kept telling me, well, of course, you're going to meet the right guy. At first, I just believed that that would just happen. But I knew there was no guarantee. And that answer that people were giving started to find, feel kind of hollow. And so the story begins. So I was I was at the beach one day with, with a really good friend of mine, Sharon. And she had her two-year-old daughter with her. And we were just having a blast at the beach, doing nothing in particular. And my dear pragmatic friend said, she said you're so good with kids. Do you ever consider having a child on your own if you don't meet the right guy. And for whatever reason, I hadn't ever considered that option. And so my head is exploding, right, with this like completely new concept to me. And but my, you know, something inside of me, like the, that protection instinct, I think, reared up and said, like I blurted out, well, no, 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 I could I could never make that work, you know, not financially, not logistically, that's just not going to happen. And I shut down the conversation. As these things happen, right, it, it was that response that I gave, it was just a quick defense to a thought that was unfamiliar to me. But really, she planted a seed in my brain. And that seed was really ready I think, to, to take root. And I couldn't let go of it. And, you know, this idea that there could be a different path, it actually felt really freeing to me that I didn't have to hold on to that fairy tale idea. And it was scary, but I, I was more scared by the prospect of not trying than I was of trying this different path. And I didn't know anyone who'd ever done it before. 
on their own. I was 39. So long story short, within six months of that beach day, I had done all my medical tests. I had selected a sperm donor. And there I was at the clinic having my first IUI. And I felt really excited and empowered. And like, I can do this. Like, I'm a problem solver. And here, I found a new solution. Like, like I'm all over it. And I should also mention, I I was also lucky. I was in Boston at the time, and there's a a pretty big chapter of Single Mothers by Choice. So I was lucky to have tapped into them. And I met other women who, you know, shared these thoughts and dreams, and many of them who had already had children on their own. So that was a way that I got to see that this was a thing, right? Single Mothers by Choice. It, It wasn't just me, and there wasn't something weird about me. That was really helpful. So anyway, so there I was getting my IUIs. Didn't work on the first try, but it did work. I got pregnant on the third try, which was against the odds for that age. And I was over the moon. I felt really powerful. And everything went really well for the first trimester. But then without going into details, that pregnancy didn't continue past 14 weeks. And it was it was agonizing. It was really, really hard because I didn't know. I thought this was a miracle that I'd gotten pregnant in the first place. And I didn't know if it would happen again. I got more tests at the clinic and found out that it was unlikely that I would be able to to produce a healthy child with my own eggs. So that knowledge and but wanting to, to keep trying and, and to become a mom helped me more easily, I think, than, than some others. Perhaps it helped me choose to pursue using a donor egg and donor sperm, obviously. So I also think one of the reasons I moved on to donor egg pretty quickly, I mean, I could have kept trying, the doctor said, but it, it, the, the chances were pretty slim. And it, it had been quite a, an emotional roller coaster already. And I was ready to move to the next chapter. Wow. Yeah. You need yeah. To, I, I feel like, and was that based on like FSH and AMH or what was that based on the, the doctor's recommendation? Like, you know, I, I think so. I'm not even remembering what the, the tests were at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, the, the, the blood tests mm-hmm. and my age. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I chose a clinic based on, you know, the best success rates possible. The My insurance wasn't going to cover the procedure anyway. And so I just chose the best clinic I could, even though it was in another state. And there I went. I went forward with that. And um, it didn't work the first time, even though it did for most people at that clinic. It didn't work for me. And I was devastated. But there were, I had some frozen embryos still from the first round. And um, so I went back two months later and they thawed, they had to thaw five of the frozen embryos to end up with two that were strong enough for a transfer. Mm. And yeah, I was kind of scared about having twins, but I was open to the idea and mostly just wanted to, you know, take whatever route was going to lead to success. I think at the time <laughs> I was really done mm-hmm. and had got wrapped my head around that. And so they transferred two of the thawed embryos and I waited the two weeks. And after two weeks, I got a faint positive. And then I went back a couple of days later and it was stronger and it kept getting stronger. And basically it, it just went up from there. And I, I was lucky. I had a really healthy pregnancy and my very healthy son was born exactly on his due date. Mm, wow. That was about three years after I had started my journey to find him. Wow. Oh, it sounded like you went much more quickly through it from what you had said, that you made a lot of choices pretty quickly and didn't agonize over them much. You just went for it, but it did still take three years. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm probably summarizing some things a bit, but I think as I, hindsight is funny, isn't it? Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't remember 
ever all of it, but I it was very emotional throughout, and yet I also had this this very practical mindset as well, right? That I had the the end in mind of why I was doing this, right? I what I wanted was was a healthy child, right? And I think you know grieving the loss of that that first pregnancy maybe was the conduit to to help me then move on to the donor egg because I felt well that this is this is now the way that for me. Yeah, it sounds like that helped you. I know there was a moment in my journey where they, they, I was trying so hard to get pregnant on my own. And then they basically questioned whether or not my uterine lining, whether there was something preventing pregnancy to do with my uterus. And I think even though I had been trying on my own against the odds, I had always assumed that if I wanted to move to donor eggs, I would be able to, and that I would succeed in getting pregnant pretty easily if I made that choice. And so when my doctor sort of called into question my uterine lining, it switch it flipped a switch for me and suddenly I felt like this gratitude and this like oh my gosh I get the uh, like I get to have the chance to use donor eggs and then it really switched it for me and that was really the thing that got me over the hump sounds like sort of similarly to you it's like a that that loss then made you be like okay I'll take anything I just want a baby yeah I mean that's such a good point it really is that gratitude right where you you start out with this sort of perfection image okay yeah I left the, the fairy tale behind but it became a new fairy tale, I suppose, right, of how it was going to work. And then that didn't work. And and so, yeah, just being able to, to step back to, to the really big picture and say, wow, isn't it amazing that we have these options, right, mm-hmm. that they're, you know, it's not going to work one way, then okay, then there's another option. And wow, medical technology and wow, donors and, and gratitude for all of that mm-hmm. together conspiring with me to, to create my family. Yeah, yeah, that's really, I, I, I definitely resonate with that. Mm. And so now I, I mean, just as like, I, I don't think I mentioned, but my fast forward to today, my son, he's seven now, and he's really strong and thriving. And I can't even believe that he was a frozen hundred cell blastocyst, right? <laughs> right? Like that he was frozen for two months. Mm. And now he's this like amazingly healthy child. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool, huh? So you talked a little bit about this already, but what do you feel like you needed to let go of in order to embrace this unique path? And, and you know, a little bit more specifics about how you sort of let go of each step along the way, how you let go of I loved how you talked about it as like the new fairy tale. It's like you come up with a plan and then that becomes, you become wedded to that. And then it's like, okay, you have to yet again, let it go and readjust your expectations. Can you talk a little bit more about how you feel like you were able to do that? It seemed to me from the story you told, especially deciding to do it on your own, that you did it really quickly. I know I stalled out at that point. And I know a lot of women, they, it takes them a long time to make that leap. And it seemed like, and to single motherhood. And then again, when you decided to move to donor eggs, some people really get, I mean, the doctor really encourage them that there might be this one last hope and they should try all these things. And Mm -hmm. it seemed like you came to terms with that pretty quickly. So maybe you could talk a little bit about both of those, those decision points. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so the first question you asked, if I heard right, was what did I have to let go of? And then like, how, Mm -hmm. how did I do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, right. The first one I mentioned was the fairy tale and then the fairy tale that would get adapted, you know, along the way. And I think what I mean by that is largely it was about self-judgment, right? That I wasn't pursuing this, this path that had been programmed into me, let's face it, from society, right? Of that first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes, you know, (laughs) baby in the baby carriage. 
So I was judging myself at first for not doing that. And, and I was worried about what other people would think of me not, you know, doing it in some other way. But really that fairy tale isn't true. And so the how to let go of that became that. So starting with that seed that my friend planted, and I think of myself as pretty open-minded and, you know, I'm embracing of diversity. And yet still for me, I was really wedded to that one idea. So just my friend sort of breaking that by, by, giving me a slightly different perspective. And then also looking more honestly at other people's lives and saying, no, you're not even partnered people who have nominally followed that path really have a fairy tale, right? Everyone's got something unique and everyone has their challenges. So I think it was just, it was getting more real, right? Mm -hmm. Not living in fantasy world. The second thing I had to let go of was fear or just perhaps not let go of it, but deal with living with it, right? And I had mentioned the fear. So I had fear about doing it. Would, you know, would it work first of all? And if it worked, would would I be enough, you know, as an only parent to my child? And funny enough, you know, the the fear of not doing it was stronger. (laughs) That was sort of a motivator for me to really look at that, not stop at the one fear of action, but really look at it in a bigger picture. You know, when I'm at the end of my life, what would I regret more? Would I regret, you know, taking this unusual path or would I regret never trying, Mm -hmm. even if it didn't work? So that really sort of, the again, bigger perspective and not getting paralyzed by that first level of fear. And then I also had to let go of control over exactly how it would happen. And this is the one, you know, you're alluding to with adjusting along the way. And part of that, I think it really helped. I mentioned, you know, tapping into a network of other women who were on this journey or who had gone before me or who were, you know, at exactly the same stage as me. And I found books and I did some internet research and, you know, that sort of, that, that really helped me. That probably also helped with releasing the self-judgment is to see that this is, this is another valid path. It's not lesser than. And yeah, and I guess, I mean, in, in, in addition to all that, which I guess I'm describing all the external factors first, right? That, you know, that what helped prompt me to shift my perspective, but really through all those challenges, I kept coming back to my focus of why I was doing this. And I would visualize my family, you know, me with the baby or me with playing with an older child. And I would really focus on feeling the love that was there. That it was so important because it would be, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster. But really staying rooted in that that love that was at the heart of this choice, the choice to to, to start it, and then the ongoing choice to continue every time there was a setback. I guess I can't underestimate how important how important that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because I feel like people ask me all that all the time, and I feel like when I'm coaching people, which I know you do too, over and they're in the process and they have a disappointment, and it's like, how do you? I, I try to remember back to how did I. Keep keep going some of those times when I was so devastated and it would have been really easy to give up. And it's so hard to, it's like the pain feels too much and trying to figure out how to keep going. And I I honestly can't remember exactly how I did it. The only way I can even imagine that I did it was that I remained connected to that, to the ultimate goal and to that question, which I usually pose to people like, what do you want to say about your life when you are on your deathbed or when you're in your nineties? And do you want to say that you gave up because of it was too hard or do you want to and of course sometimes it is just too hard for people and I respect that but 
yeah, trying to remember that. And it's so hard to explain to people that the joy of motherhood really is powerful. And um, as hard as it is, it does like the, the journey and how hard it was sort of does really fade into the background. I think a lot, at least it did for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's what they say that people rarely regret actions they took in their life, but they, they much more often regret things they didn't do or didn't try because of fear. And I think this absolutely, you know, in my life, this one fits squarely into that category. And I'd also be remiss not to, not to say, you know, the, the value of support I got from other people along the way. So I was super fortunate that my parents and extended family and friends were supportive. You know, those who knew that I was pursuing this were supportive of it. But at the same time, none of them had ever done it or knew someone who had done it. So, you know, I didn't anticipate that these women who I met through Single Mothers by Choice, both in Boston and online groups, they became a a very like a day to day support network for me. So, uh, you know, a subset of those women, we, we were going through this at the same time. I mean, we knew each other's cycles. We knew, you know, when the appointments were, what was going on. And so in the times when I would forget, you know, when I would lose sight of my big why and I, you know, forgot to tap into that love, they were there for me to remind me of that. And I was there for them. And I'd like to say that I would have pursued it no matter what, but I don't know, right? I am so grateful to those women Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sticking with me when I was considering giving up, you know, when I was really down. Yeah. And they've become such dear friends. And now we've all, we've all ended up having our kids and they're good friends together. And what an unexpected gift mm-hmm. from the journey that's been. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I surprisingly did not find any, I had a friend who was doing it alone as well. And I don't know how I stayed so blissfully ignorant of, or not blissfully ignorant, but I didn't know, I didn't tap into the community until I was pregnant. Mm. And that's definitely, it, I think it took me a lot longer because of that, because it didn't normalize it. I really felt like, oh, this is like this really bizarre path that nobody takes. And I, you know, kept me wedded to that story that there was something wrong with me for a lot longer, I think, because I didn't get to see this like amazing community of such powerful women that weren't, they weren't the rejects of society just because they had babies on their own and that they were really awesome women who picked it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Did you feel support from friends and family or were you sharing your journey? I was, yeah. I have my, my mentor sort of and sort of spiritual teacher, mentor, whatever, um, my Qigong master who was pretty intimately involved and I was having, you know, essentially like therapy sessions with him to make the choice and then going through it. And then I had sort of a chosen family of people that I was turning to and talking to that were incredibly supportive. My family, not as much, but um, mm-hmm. I'm just not that close to my family. But yeah, I did. I did have a support network. It just wasn't a group of, I just didn't have that model of a group of single moms that were already doing it or going through it at the same time. So moving forward a little, do you have any regrets about, this is sort of a red herring of a question, I think, but we'll see. But do you have any regrets about how you became a mom? Yeah, no, not not at all. I am so proud of how I became a mom and of, of my family now. And I mean, I can't imagine loving my son anymore you know, the, the way I became a mom. So, you know, could I wish that it was easier? Absolutely. It was not easy, but 
as you mentioned, it's funny, but right, the details of how, how that all happened and, and all of the, you know, the specifics along the way have sort of faded into the past now that I'm here. And, you know, now I have new goals for my life and my family. But I also, I really believe that the strength that was required and the fortitude that was required to, to go through that journey has benefited me as a parent. It set me up well for parenting. And so I, I can't have regrets. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the most surprising thing about how your path turned out or how things turned out? Well, I have to say, I was not expecting to have to face up to my own limitations along the way. <laughs> like that, that was kind of, I guess, my arrogance going into it. And it may sound a little strange, but I had I, I led a pretty fortunate life and I had generally achieved things I set my mind to. And, you know, like I was like, oh, so I'm going to make this happen. And so that I think that was surprising. The uh, maybe it sounds a little silly even in hindsight now to say that, but the the degree of personal growth that it led to, which is a plus in the end. I think it was surprising a bit that that starting a family on my own didn't mean I was alone, right? There's a big difference between the two. Mm. And when I, you know, am feeling down about something, then I might, you know, drift into this, oh, woe is me, I'm alone. But really, there's a lot of people out there who love me and my son and, you know, want the best for us and are part of our story mm. and how, and connecting with people like in this time of my greatest vulnerability and being, learning to, to be willing to share my pain, which was not my forte. <laughs> it really helped me. And I think that's how we, that is how we grow by connecting with others and being willing to share. But I, I, I wasn't expecting that, I guess. I'm also surprised that and for, for a while, maybe, you know, when I was really, you know, in the, the single mom by choice world and surrounded by those and like, this was like, this was like, a, I really defined it as a different story. And then becoming a mom, I've been, I've had to rework that story for myself because yes, it's a different path, but I'm learning that now I have so much more in common with other moms, however they became moms, than we have differences, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot, really a lot more that, that unites us. And I also have a greater appreciation for some of the benefits of being an only parent, which I did not anticipate, like not having to negotiate every parenting decision, discipline style, you know, whatever that may be. I definitely have, have witnessed how that could be a real challenge in any co-parenting situation. And so while I have to make every decision, I also get to make every decision. I, I hear you. I feel that very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I realized, you know, people may say that to you before having a kid. And I think that it's really hard to recognize how hard, like how many millions of gazillions little tiny decisions can become a huge stressor if you're having to, to get on the same page as someone else. And how, yeah, that, that it's, it really is a huge benefit not to be having to sort of debate it with someone else or not even necessarily raise to the level of debate, but figure out how you're on the same page about discipline and even the tiniest little things. It can be pretty mind-boggling, I think. Can you talk a little bit more about, you said you feel like for you, raising, having a child alone is not the same as raising a child alone, and that you really feel surrounded by support. And I, I think that's something that many single moms don't feel. So I'm curious how you have, how you've created, how you've manifested that in your life, how you've created that. Hmm. I, you know, this, this one, I don't have an easy answer. I don't know if I've manifested. I think 
think it's it's there to be tapped into. And my greatest challenge is remembering to tap into it. Because, you know, I can also get really sucked into the day-to-day and the overwhelm of all of those decisions that I have to make, or I can tell myself, right, on my own, not that I get to make. And I, I guess maybe it comes back to expectations. And for a number of years, I was kind of cranky that my expectations weren't being met in terms of support from specific people or in general. And... Then I read somewhere that expectations are premeditated disappointments. (laughs) They really (laughs) stuck with me. It really, really stuck with me because I'm like, oh man, that's what I do. That's totally what I do. And so I think part of it is realistic expectation setting and, and that reframing of, man, I have to do all this stuff. I have to manage the house and I have to make you know, figure out childcare and I have to do this and I have to do that. And just stopping and reframing it and remembering where I was, right? Nine, eight, nine, ten years ago and say, no, wait a minute, Jill. You get to like write the gratitude piece that you said earlier. No, I get to make these things. How amazingly lucky am I that I get to do this. So that's not directly about the support, but it's, it it has to start with me. Right. And if I, I think the frustration I was having about not enough support was, you know, because I was feeling needy (laughs) and, and not that there are no, I mean, we do have a lot of need. Any new parent has a lot of needs. And I think in our society, we have gotten very isolated, right, from the way it used to be with with a a bigger built-in support community, neighborhood, household, whatever it is. So I don't know that I have a lot of day-to-day support, you know, in terms of logistics and physical stuff, but I have the love and the energy out there that if when I remember to tap into it, it restores me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Uh, I definitely make that distinction. Right. So and tapping into sort of just a general sense that there's people out there who love and support you or that if you actually like when the rubber meets the pavement, you can ask someone and they'll help you or maybe a little of both. Or Yeah, a little of both. Yeah. So one is is the knowing just in in myself knowing that that they're out there so that that's one level of sort of tapping into it then reaching out so this is again being vulnerable right and reaching out saying i'm struggling you know this is what's going on and i i don't know what to do right it's okay not to have all the answers as an only parent it's okay to not have all the answers as a partnered parent it's okay you know as a human being not to have all the answers right so this is me overcoming my you know long standing perfectionism right so be learning to reach out and say i need help whether that's just talking about it or can you come and you know sit with my child or take him out to do something or that's been a big lesson for me and I'm not completely there yet like it, you know it rears up every once in a while but and sometimes someone's going to say no I can't right but but more often it's you know yes I'd love to thanks for asking or I can't now but you know could we do it a different time and if they just can't well okay you know there's other people or there's another way mm-hmm. and maybe that's going back to that what I had to let go of and that control right so it's like you know letting, you know of, of, of exactly what it's going to look like and what so what support going to look like I know it doesn't 
look like a husband partner at this stage. Maybe it never will. Maybe it will. I don't know. What else could it look like? Okay, this didn't work. What else can I try? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I really love the kind of underlying like shift in perception that you have to, I think it really is important that we are very fortunate to have be able to take this path. And and it is a struggle, I think, to get as much help as you feel like you could use. I know it is for me, but having that underlying gratitude or just perception that um, this is, we are lucky and you got to just get really good at asking for help and being creative, I think. Yeah. And being, being gentle with yourself because it's, it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. It's still worth it for me, but it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, when I'm not in that place of the shift of perspective described, it just feels really heavy and it's not helping anyone. It's not helping me. And it's definitely not helping my son, right? When I feel more stressed, he gets more stressed and I see it. And so step one, starting with me, how can I lighten that? Not avoid making choices, but just lighten the load. It actually makes it easier to make some choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So do you think that your path to motherhood has in any way changed or altered the relationship you have with your child? Hmm. I think, I mean, I can't compare to, you know, what I would have been like as a mother in other circumstances, but I do think it's it's likely that I, that I have more gratitude attitude as we've been talking about and that I that I have a more intentional approach to parenting than if this had been easy again not every day but <laughs> in general and that in general I can sweat the small stuff better than the old me <laughs> although maybe that's just a change that motherhood brings and I think yeah the time that I spent as I was saying before that I spent focusing on the love and the why I'm doing this that that, that was well invested time right and that I'm you know it's still bearing fruit in, in the, the choices that I make now as a parent coming from love. And I, the other thing, you know, from my, from my son's perspective, he knows how absolutely wanted he was. So he knows his story. It grows in, you know, in detail as he gets older, but he knows his story. He knows he was absolutely wanted, right? That it just didn't happen. <laughs> And, you know, the basic story is I loved you long before you were born and I looked for you for a long, long time and I didn't stop until I found you. I want to believe that that makes a difference for him. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. And do you think the lack of genetic connection for you has changed anything about motherhood or your relationship with your child? Honestly, I forget about it all the time. Like, I, I honestly just, I don't even, one time we had a, we, he had a, his pedi- pediatric appointment and and, you know, they were asking, this is early on, and they were asking something about family history. And I started thinking about family history. And I was like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. Actually, we're not talking about my family history. It's irrelevant. So I, I don't think so. What, one thing that it's a benefit that we have from having used a donor is the is meeting donor siblings. So we've met on the sperm donor side, we've met a few of his half siblings who've used from families who've used the same sperm donor 
And that's been amazing. It's been really, you know, some, we've created some wonderful connections and I'm excited to see how those relationships develop over time as the kids grow. That's very cool. And in hindsight, would you do anything differently if you knew what you know now? Yeah. I mean, I could say start younger, right? Might've made it a simpler process, right? But I guess probably I wasn't ready. And so I believe I had the family that I meant to have. So yeah, do I wish I had let go of the fairy tale sooner that I had, you know, considered all, you know, alternative paths sooner. Sure. But again, I'm not going to call it regrets. Yeah. I don't, there's nothing that jumps out at me. Okay. Okay. No worries. I, I, I think that's great for people to hear because I know when you're in it, it doesn't feel that that's the way it's going to be. So I think it's just really nice for people to hear that they're really, you take this path that feels in many ways, very devastating and you're not sure you can do it. And then in the end, it's, there's really uh, most people I talk to, there are no regrets. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's really true. I think when I was in it, when I was in the thick of it and didn't know what the outcome would be, there was more woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? I wish I had done it. I wish I had started earlier. You know, if only this, if only that. And it, it has taken me time to process why it happened the way it did. (laughs) Yeah. Or just, or just acceptance. Maybe. What advice would you give someone if they were struggling to become a mother or whether they were sort of looking at a path that was completely different than what they had always assumed and dreamed would happen? Some things that, that I think I've already alluded to, right? In terms of being willing to be vulnerable. I think a lot of women, certainly that I've met on this journey, are used to being strong, capable, independent decision makers, right? Making things happen. And I would say, certainly from my own experience, that this journey may may really rock you to your core. And so being vulnerable may be uncomfortable, unfamiliar, but it is how we connect as humans. I would say, listen to and trust your heart. Some people are better practiced at that than others, but I believe everyone can learn to do it. And it's super important to to really focus on what you want more than what everyone else is telling you to do, advising you to do. And then, you know, when you hear what your heart is is asking for, you know, start with that vision of what you want in your life and why. The how may come later, like the how... <laughs> Don't let the how keep you from taking, you know, if you don't know how it's going to play out exactly, don't let that keep you from taking the first step. That's a pretty big one that, you know, take, take a first step in the direction of what you want. And then, you know, the next step becomes clear as you go. You don't have to have the whole thing mapped out because it would rarely follow that path anyway. Yeah. And the other piece that I, I, I guess I mentioned, you know, like when you, when you're feeling fear, that's normal. Right. And, and try to focus on the love instead of the fear. This journey is very deeply rooted in love. That's a question I ask clients a lot. You know, what would love do? You know, that cuts through a whole lot of what we think we're supposed to do, or, you know, it gets to what's really calling you. What would love do? Yeah. That's really beautiful. I love that. Thing. And I, I also, I felt like I had a similar experience. I, I went and got, while I was still trying to decide whether or not to do it on my own. I went and got my fertility tested and it came back. Basically the message from the doctor's office was if you want to deal with your infertility, call us. And I sort of pushed, I I successfully pushed that out of my mind. But you know, I, if I had gotten, I was still trying to decide whether or not I even wanted to be a mother, if it meant doing it alone. And I remember my teacher, Chris, my mentor sort of forcing me to put the, like, we're not even going to worry about whether or not you're what that message 
message meant and whether you're infertile or not infertile, you need to figure out whether or not you want to be a mother and then you can deal with the rest of it. Mm. And yeah, he just was, you know, if we start adding in all these other factors, we're never going to get to the question, <laughs> get to the answer of the, the four fundamental question. And I think he knew that there's, you know, so many ways to become a mother. And I think if I had sort of muddied the waters at the time, I don't know what, how long it would have taken. So I, I needed to sort of answer the fundamental question and then figure it out from there. So I think that's sort of a similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, like you, you had to have that vision of what's what's the end goal, and and from there you can you can then imagine different paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't easy at the time, that's for sure. But I, I'm so grateful that he forced me to do that because I would have, I just would have been in a tailspin, I think, for quite a long time if I had to like not only answer the question of whether or not I wanted to be a mother if I had to do it alone, as well as how in the world was I going to make it happen and were those acceptable paths to me? Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, they certainly weren't. I, I was definitely opposed to that in those beginning stages. Yeah. Well, isn't that true, right? If you if you go if you try to figure out all of those steps before you you have that vision, it very quickly becomes overwhelming. I mean, it can be overwhelming anyway. But but that yeah, that vision really just keeps you centered about okay, but this is why, right? It's sort of like it, it it's definitely it overrules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The you know the the many many steps along the way. That's not the right word, but yeah. And so in what ways has actually being a mother been different than you expected? I guess, you know, in what ways have you had to, I think we have a vision about what motherhood is and then we get there and we're like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) So in what ways has it been different than you thought? Yeah. If I'm really honest, I had no idea what it would be like. And I think I was so focused for years on starting my family. Like, can I make it happen? And then, you know, enjoying a pregnancy, but I really didn't focus much on how I wanted to raise my child beyond like the big stuff of like, you know, values of, you know, be kind and open-minded and things like that. I really just like let it go, like didn't, didn't even go there, which was not what I advise other people to do. So a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of surprises, but it was also those things that people always tell you that you can't really understand until you're a parent yourself, where they say, you know, how amazing love is and how, you know, this and that, and, you know, that you put up with all the challenges because it's all worth it. Like you, you can say that to someone who hasn't experienced it, but in, you have to sort of be in it to really get it. I think, you know, after taking this amazing, empowering, you know, independent action to create my family, I have to admit that once I had a newborn, I got wrapped up again in what I'm supposed to do instead of what I wanted. And I, I don't, I didn't anticipate that happening. I think I thought I am empowered now, you know, I made it happen. I got through this to the other side and I was so excited and proud of myself. And then, you know, there's just a lot to do and there's sleep deprivation and there's tons of, you know, advice being hurled at new moms. And I, I fell right back into that trap and yeah, kind of once again, you know, lost, like, what do I want? And, you know, fell back into like, I got to do it. I got to do it all. I got, you know, it's got to be perfect. 
And so, you know, I was back on a cycle of, I guess, you know, reimagining, you know, me as a mother. I love your motherhood reimagined name, you know, but that it was, it was back in a cycle of, okay, now, now that I'm here, now what's the dream? Because, you know, having a baby was that original end goal, but it's not the end goal overall. What do I want this to look like? What do, you know, who, what's my vision of me as a mom and our life together and what's important? And, you know, I had to, again, let go of the expectations that I put on myself as a mom, right? The, the ones that I was like sucking in from society <laughs> before defining it for myself. And it took a while. And I, you know, I was kind of in this living pretty high stress life. And as I said before, that I definitely saw that reflected in my son, but I was, you know, had a busy job and a long commute and, you know, being a solo parent. And I just, for, for the first four years of my son's life, I just thought, well, I guess, you know, that's just, I got to suck it up. Like, that's just, you know, what it's got to look like. But something inside of me started to just scream out, no, <laughs> there must be another way. And it took a while, but a couple of years ago, I made a big lifestyle change for us because I just couldn't do that way anymore. I knew there had to be another way. And so, you know, what it eventually ended up looking like for us was we moved to Maine for slower, more intentional life, less traffic, less stress, more family time. I'm not saying it's perfect, but this has worked out a lot better for us. And I think it is an ongoing process. I think that's the thing, learning about motherhood, right? You just get used to one stage and then things change. Like kids grow and develop quickly. And the same, and, and so I'm growing too in the process as a person, as a mom. There's no final destination. Yes, very well put. Yes. So what do you love the most about being a mom? The love, the cuddles, <laughs> when it's all going really well. The, like the one-on-one relationship, right? So that's a real benefit of being an only parent, right? Like that we get a lot of really one-on-one time, like really getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And as I was just alluding to, like, I, I love the the constant learning that I am undergoing as a result of you know the, the like the stimulation that he brings into my life it's definitely prompted me to get much better at being present <laughs> right with him but you know then that, that carries over to other parts of my life and at remembering that I like to play right <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Not taking myself too seriously. My son is very good at calling me out on that. I love that that is the child I got (laughs) because it's exactly what I need. And what do you like least about being a mother? Mm, I... I would have to say discipline. Certainly don't like being a meanie, but it's more like about discipline and like, I'm not always great with discipline and consistency myself. I'm all about freedom and variety, I think. So enforcing that for someone else is challenging, but I do know that kids benefit from clear, consistent boundaries. And so I try to, you know, I try to do that. And I, you know, overall, I think I'm doing it, but it's not the fun part for me. I hear you so strongly on that one. I feel like <laughs> my kid is like a master at finding all of the little holes in my inconsistencies. Right? <laughs> I just feel like I have to be, if I pick, if you pick something, if you pick a boundary, you have to be so committed to it. And you really have to sort of think ahead of time because if you, at least with my son, if I, if I waver, like, oh my God, it's over. <laughs> So I have to be so clear and it's really hard. So true. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, and I, I, I want to go off script a tiny bit and you're welcome to answer or not, but this has just been fresh on my mind um, after going to a talk last night about to harking to our kids about donor conception mm-hmm. and wondering if you'd be willing to say anything about how you've approached that conversation and how that's been going for you and your son. Yeah. So I started practicing telling him our story, you know, since he was a baby before I think he could understand because they never wanted it to be a surprise to him. And I said a little bit about, you know, initially it was just a very simple story about, you know, I loved you long before you were born and I looked for you for a long, long time. But then, you know, it started to evolve as he would ask different questions. Maybe two years ago, he he was really interested in the science of, so, I, you know, we talked about the egg and the, the seed is the word I use, let me say sperm, but you know, and how they come together, you know, and split the cells and grow. And right. And so I I did this whole like life cycle basically with him about, you know, how that grew into a baby for him, like when it was in the lab and when it was in my body and when, you know, how he grew and was born and that then as he grows and he'll become a man and he'll have seeds. Right. So that was just, he loved that. Mm. And that wasn't specific to our story, but it, you know, it allowed me to then show, you know, where the donors come in to the story. And it, it's come up more again, now that he's in school and he has friends who start asking questions and say, you know, does Declan have a dad? And, and my response, and now he, he will answer the same way himself that, you know, no, I don't have a dad. You know, our family is mom and kid and, you know, four grandparents because I have my two parents and they're divorced and both remarried. So he's fortunate to have four grandparents, you know, and lots of other family. And so he, he tells that story, but you know, whenever, someone will ask, well, but you have to have a dad, right? Everyone has a dad. I'll say, well, no. And I say, well, I had, you know, I had so much love that I was, you know, able to, to make him on my own with help from some doctors. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into it with other people, you know, with other kids, because it is mostly his story to share, but I want the concept to be out there that, you know, it was, it's a story of love and this is another version of family. He knows that story. He knows he, has donors and he now knows about the donor siblings and that relationship and thinks it's really cool. And a couple of times he's said, he's indicated like, you know, I wish I had a dad or, or maybe it comes across more like, I wonder what it would be like to have a dad. So we talk about, you know, you know, what do you think or what would you want? And, you know, usually it's just something specific, like someone to, you know, play catch with. I'm like, Oh, let's go play catch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess also we had, we have some books about, you know, family diversity, you know, that, you know, there's so many different versions of what families can look like or how families are created. I like those books too. Mm -hmm. Just say, you know, which ones look like us? Mm -hmm. Who looks like that? And I was going to ask if there's any particular books when you were trying to explain the science that you relied on. I didn't use a book for the science. I just drew it out for him and that worked Mm. well. It was really basic (laughs) (laughs) because I mean, it worked enough for him to show like egg seed, you know, become, you know, a cell split splits, you know, and that, you know, he was a hundred cells when he, you know, he came into my body. Mm. But my favorite book is the family book by Todd Parr. Mm-hmm. It's so simple, but it's bright colors and it's a little bit, it's got a little silliness, but you know, the, the heart is there. And um, I like that one. It's not specific to our story. It's just, you know, do you know that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was our first definitely our first book on this topic. And I I love that one too. I think it helps also that we, you know, we have friends, I've maintained friendships with the, those women who I was on 
the journey with early on. And so there are other kids in my son's life whose families look like ours. Mm-hmm. And it's like no big deal. I try to present it as no big deal. But I, you know, I do want to make sure that he's not suppressing questions. So every once in a while, I just ask, you know, give or wonder this. Mm-hmm. So far, it's not been a big deal for him. But I, I know plenty of, you know, my peers and with kids his age where it has come up more. So I think it just varies by kid and maybe it'll come later with him. So wrapping up a little, any other advice you'd give to others or anything else you'd like to add before we, and then I want to hear a little bit more about your work as well. Sure. Yeah. I think other advice, maybe I said this before, but women who are considering solo motherhood have probably been independent and strong for a long time. Many of them, you know, really responsible, maybe even perfectionists or control lovers, (laughs) not all of them, but many of us. And probably, you know, perfectionism is really a, a big one that, that I know I've had to let go of and I've, I've witnessed in friends and now in clients. So don't let perfect be the enemy of the good was the lesson I learned in my public health training. You know, aim for progress over perfection and, you know, be willing to keep moving forward even if you don't have the, all those details worked out. Right? Take the first step and look around. And and the other big one is that, you know, this atypical path that you're on is is not a lesser path. And reimagining motherhood and being willing to reimagine motherhood and ways to get there takes a lot of courage and love. And I would encourage your listeners to to really appreciate that in themselves, the courage and the love that they are exhibiting in, you know, in considering this and in moving forward. That's that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's so important because it's so easy to beat yourself up and um, it is such a obviously we're privileged to be able to take the path and yet it is still a, a huge it, it's courageous and takes a lot of bravery yeah and there you know i see a lot of a lot of self doubt which you know is it's normal but it's not going to help you move forward so acknowledge it and try to just take the next step because yeah you are amazing and powerful and worthy of this dream that's what i would keep saying mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, I love what you do, Sarah. I am so honored to have been part of this podcast and and hope that it really brings value to many women. Thank you. Thank you. Final words of wisdom. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And it's, I feel like I've learned so much from you. It's so nice to hear. I feel like our, our stories are very similar, but just hearing your perspective has been really wonderful and really great. And I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. If you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go as Planned. It's available everywhere books are sold. And finally, I'm so excited to announce the upcoming launch of Motherhood Reimagined Tribe. Tribe is the essential resource for single motherhood. So whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to conceive, or raising donor-conceived children, then Motherhood Reimagined Tribe can help you embrace your own unique path to motherhood. With our informative guides, blogs, books, services, and support, Motherhood Reimagined Tribe is the perfect place to get the advice and support you need to become the mother you want to be. I'm currently looking for founding members to join one of three tribe masterminds. These masterminds are small, intimate groups of women who are at the same stage of the journey as you. To begin with, I'll have a group of thinkers and triers, 
egg donor or embryo support, and solo pregnancy. As a founding member of Tribe Mastermind, you will not only get preferred pricing, you will get access to a huge content vault for information for every stage of the journey, weekly group calls with me to go over relevant topics and connect to others in your stage, and a community forum to connect with others at any time. This will be the cheapest price ever available, so don't miss your chance to join at this rate. If you're feeling really alone and isolated or get easily overwhelmed by the amount of information and decisions you have to make, make sure you don't miss this chance to connect with other women and get access to tons of research that's already been done for you. Head on over to the Motherhood Reimagined website or follow the link in the show notes to apply for your spot as a founding member. Join me next week when I speak with Anne, who made a really difficult choice about not having triplets, as well as what it was like to have postpartum depression with multiples. She really doesn't hold anything back and shares so many generous details about her story. You don't want to miss it. Bye for now.